Welcome to the Getting Past the Premium Podcast, where we focus on breaking down risk management problems bit by bit until we find a solution. Enjoy today's episode and be sure to follow us for weekly content. All right, welcome back to Getting Past the Premium, everybody. Super pumped for this episode today with Joe McElhon from Insurate. They are doing some really cool stuff with what I would consider some of the future of insurance. And so super excited to get your perspective, man, on where we're at, where we're going and and what we can expect in this industry. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And, you know, we've had some of these conversations over a period of time, but I've really enjoyed what I've seen you building with launch and, and kind of how your mind thinks about uh, cost of risk, insurance in general, how insurance could be different. So happy to happy to be here. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. We uh, we share a lot of common themes in our thinking around that, right? So uh, high level, walk everybody through what you're doing with insurance because I think that'll influence a lot of the discussion today. But I want I want everybody to understand what you guys have built and are building and where that's going. Because what you're doing, I think, is leading towards a lot of where the industry needs to go or could go. Yeah. So ultimately, we are a data science-driven MGA. Uh, I don't really consider us an insure tech in the standard sense of insure tech, uh, but we are a big data company. And we spent three years essentially amassing an incredible <laughs> amount of data, probably more than exists with most uh, established national insurance companies, probably similar level to what exists within the federal government, uh, within the NSA and like entities. And we use that data to understand correlations and outcomes differently than other people do. We look for different indicators. Uh, we use different methodologies in how we assess good and bad. And the reason that we built this and ultimately what this does is it solves one of the biggest problems that I believe exist in insurance right now. And that is, how do you determine a good rate from a bad rate Mm -hmm. as it relates to any given exposure? And what a lot of people have tried to do over time is do supplemental questions or if this answer, then that means good. Mm -hmm. If this answer, then that means bad. Or I've seen people deploy uh, wearables, apps, computer vision, trying to get into this IoT, like, like monitoring a driver. Um, but the problem with that and the problem with subjective underwriting questions is you never have a benchmark. You never have a starting point, a, a pure zero, if you will, mm-hmm. to say that this is your true deviation statistically from what you should look like. So we normalize everything. We normalize every business and say, based on all of the data about every business in the entire country, And then when we drill it down to your state and your geography and your size and your sales and your payroll and all of your attributes, what should you look like from a data perspective? And how does that deviate from the benchmark? And if you're better than that benchmark, we absolutely want to insure you. And we want to provide that business a rate that is unmatchable in the market uh, because they have earned it, frankly. They shouldn't Mm -hmm. pay market rate. And then, frankly, if businesses are worse than that benchmark, We don't insure them, first of all, um, generally speaking. Uh, There are cases where we would make an exception if they would be open to adopting some degree of next generation risk management, which is where our platform really also differentiates. Because So we quantify good and bad, and then we say, 
what's the most likely thing that's going to happen to this business? What's the most likely thing that's going to happen to each employee in their day-to-day course of operations? What type of body part is going to get hurt? What's the probability of that body part getting hurt? And what's the probable cost of that injury or time away from that employer when that happens? And that allows us to then say, okay, what tools from a risk management and safety perspective are available to deploy to that specific, most probable and known event? And then how do we deploy those upfront immediately to mitigate that exposure to our then insured after they come on board? Uh, We distribute only through agents. Uh, We are a for agent by agent brand. I left my agency to build this. I sold my agency to build this and That was a really hard decision, (laughs) but I did it ultimately to bring a greater value to the market that I didn't feel existed. Well, it still doesn't, in my opinion. I mean, I guess maybe I'll pose that as a question. Like, why do you feel like... So this type of model, I'll say, like data-driven, very transparent, seems to exist in many other industries, right? Particularly tech or tech-driven type of industries, but... You know, insurance and the insurance industry has a lot of capital. It has a lot of big, big companies that have a lot of resources. Like, why hasn't somebody taken this approach? Why is it still, you know, supplemental questions that are, quote unquote, underwritten by a human? Reactive. Very reactive. Like, why do you feel like that's still what we deal with most with most insurance carriers? Two problems exist in the market. The first problem is lack of availability of common data with common nomenclature. So it's really hard for an established insurance company to create a nationwide benchmark against their portfolio. It's really hard for them to say, we underwrite better than X, Y, and Z because of these reasons. When they develop their actuarial triangles, the rules that their actuaries have to follow is only use our own data. And that data, those policies that they have on the books, they were essentially acquired through subjective underwriting. And so that subjective underwriting created their results and those results create their rates, their rates create their new strategy, and they never have a holistic big picture view of, of good and bad. And then that leads to the second problem of trying to fix that. And then you go to the reinsurance marketplace and you say, okay, I'm going to use all of the data, not just my own data. And they say, well, how do you build actuarial triangles of all of the data if those if that wasn't your actual results of your own underwriting? And that is a challenge that we we were in that challenge for about two years. It took us about two years to get reinsurance all the way comfortable with using big data as opposed to micro data. Yeah. It's, it just seems like you would... I mean, that makes sense to me, but gosh, you'd see, you think of travelers and nationwide, some of these companies that have been around for a long time that, uh, it just, why aren't we seeing the innovation there? You know, and that they don't have incentive until right yeah, now. I mean, especially say. for the last decade or so in this free money environment, yeah. growth at all costs, and they were profitable for the most yeah. part outside of catastrophe and property risk. Living fat on the hog. And yeah. They've, <laughs> they've never had incentive to do it and they've never had a legitimate challenger from an insure tech perspective that can be sustainable profitable produce good underwriting results because that had never frankly been a priority of an insure tech yeah true and i think 
you know, this seems to me to be where the industry at least needs to go because it feels like you're putting what is a very vague piece of uh, one of our clients' businesses, right? The insurance. They never understand what's in the policy, regardless of how many times you go through it with them. They have no idea how it's priced. You know, they could have no claims for 10 years and how many times do we go in and deliver a rate increase? And they're like, I haven't had a claim in 10 years. It's like, well, let me walk back through how this works, you know? And um, and it's one of the things I've liked about what you're putting or what you've put together with Insured is it feels very transparent. It feels very understandable. It feels very, you know, you're rewarding the people that deserve to be rewarded and not, you know, lumping them in to, to frankly support all the bad risks, you know, which is the you know law of large numbers is the theory behind insurance. But, you know, it's, it feels like this is where we need to go. But what's your perspective on like, where does the industry go in the next five years, you know, based on what you've seen and been building? And, you know, how do we get there? I think there are going to be very rapid advancements. I think that carriers, MGAs and capacity vehicles that really lean in and leverage AI and leverage big data to quantify risk differently, to rethink their pricing strategies, their acquisition strategies, uh, those companies will be the leaders in the next five years. It's not as much about claims handling as it once was across the broader industry. That is pretty well established of how do you adjust a claim. And sometimes you can be better with timing and efficiencies and things like that. But that's not where the future is going to be differentiated. The future is going to be differentiated in strategy, using data to make informed decisions and using AI to bring in even more data to refine the accuracy of those decisions. Predictive accuracy is going to be king in the future of insurance. And then relaying that to people who control or have the ability to control what they do about it. Giving that feedback to your insureds is such a huge key. Yeah. So that's that. I used to think that that our line of insurance, work comp specifically, was half underwriting and half claims. But I don't think I think it's more like seventy percent underwriting, fifteen percent claims, but then fifteen percent interaction with the actual business. Yeah. And providing them a resource and specific tools and services that are aligned to the known exposures of what their people are facing every day for sure. that mitigate those things. A more proactive approach to customer engagement, frankly, yeah. as opposed to throwing out someone with a clipboard and saying they're standing there with a clipboard, which is the way most people do it right now. Tell me about your business. Tell, answer these 35 questions. That all goes away yeah. because AI bot does that. Mm-hmm. Right, an AI bot gives you all the data about the company up front, and it gives you all their strengths and weaknesses. And then you simply address the weaknesses, yeah. and you say, "Where are you deficient? How can we help?" Good insurance companies in the future will do that. So, where do you see the role of the agent, the advisor? You know, if we're able to truly fully underwrite based on big data, accurately price risk. You know, what's the role of the agent? Because, you know, in the past, and I would argue that we're past this, but to go way back, it was like the value an independent agent could bring is multiple options, right? Like I couldn't get on the internet and get multiple options. You know, now, as much as an independent agency still wants to hang on to that as their value prop, like we're, we've far surpassed that, right? But there is still a level of this, this 
vagary in the industry that our clients need help with, right? They, they don't understand it. So they need somebody to help them understand what are my options. You know, I want you, Joe, to understand my business and tell me what I need to buy kind of thing. But if all of that becomes very transparent, driven by data, like I don't even as the agent need to tell your story anymore because the data is doing it for me. Like, what do you see the role of the agent in that future? The agent needs to truly understand the marketplace that their customers operate within. And the agent needs to come alongside the executive team of the, of the companies that they provide insurance products and risk management to. And they need to be an extension of that, of yeah. that executive team to make and inform the strategy of that company relative to the exposures that that company <clears throat> is inherently exposed to, as well as the cost of risk or the cost of capital to as best possible mitigate or transfer that risk. And it, I think of insurance sales more like SaaS sales these days. When I was an agent, it, and still most agencies operate in this lens, I'm going to go get five quotes. I'm going to present the best quote. And at the next 12-month renewal cycle, I'm going to do it all over again. <laughs> Unless yep. that person was very satisfied and very happy with what they had the last 12 months I'm probably going to do brain damage and I'm probably going to go through this process again all the time. What if you simply set it up, right? You, you pull the correct data attributes about this business in real time and, and you create a platform and infrastructure of you will, if you will, that transfers the risk of a business to capital markets. That's all insurance truly is at the end of the day. And what if you as the agent could do that efficiently? And you always guaranteed that your customer had the best outcome relative to the way they manage and run their business. <laughs> you said it and forget it, but you're still there as the consultant. You're still there as saying, look, I see this in the data. I see this as a potential to either grow your business, mitigate risk, mitigate exposure, mitigate cost, or frankly, even say, your benchmark here or there, and you're performing 20% better than your peers. Congratulations. Your bottom line relative to your expense of, of insurance is 20% better, better than it would be otherwise without yeah. you. Yeah, totally. It allows the agent to focus on uh, the risks that are not as easily transferable to the capital markets. Yeah, all day. Which is, you know, what we spend our life's work on, you know, it's like, how can we be an extension of the leadership team to wrestle with the risks that don't, um, you can't easily transfer and like w even identifying those and then trying to quantify them. And we, we work so often with business owners that are way too close to the business and they don't see them. Like it's an entirely different process. It's an entirely different value prop that we could bring to the table from that perspective. And that's the greatest benefit of having a professional risk advisor, right? And, and I think that there's two buckets of agents. There's professional risk advisors and there's everyone else. <laughs> and our industry will thrive when people gravitate more towards being true risk advisors. One of the keys is your model that helps unlock that. You know, we, I was in a conversation this morning and all they want to talk about, all the business owner wants to talk about is um, their traditional way of managing risk. 
And it's all around the carrier. It's all around the price, uh, et cetera. And like to get their minds out of that uh, and to focus on all the other risks that that business owner face on a day in and day out basis is freaking difficult when we can't then point to a solution like yours that exists in every other facet, not just work comp, to say like, this cake is baked for you in a very transparent, valuable way. This is why we need to be focusing on everything else. It's much more behavior driven and whatnot than it is like data driven. You might argue with me on some of that, but you know, and that those solutions like that, that you're able to bring to the table on the work comp side of things is going to help propel us to be better professional risk advisors, if that makes sense. So you mentioned one thing there, the behavioral data that I want to talk on for just a minute. Um, really the core underlying, underlying big data that we pull to quantify and assess risk is psychosocial behavior. And to learn these correlations between a ownership group of a company, a management group of a company, and the employees of a company... And if you see and you look for the right correlations there, you learn a lot about the risk of that company as it relates to everything about their business. Not just how they, not just their exposure to employees, but their exposure to really truly anything. Uh, because it's, when you create an organization, this is the second company I've built from scratch. And when you create a company, you, you buy products uh, like QuickBooks or, or an accounting software or some degree of platform to run your company. Mm-hmm. You do that for everything except for insurance. <laughs> what if insurance was part of that platform? Mm-hmm. Risk transfer was part of that platform. And then you manage your business differently. You manage your business to metrics. You manage your business to objectives and OKRs. And, and you're constantly pulling levers to optimize performance. And the agent would now have the ability to break yeah, totally. And I think, you know, this could, speaking our language for sure, right? Because we talk all the time about how we need this industry to keep moving this needle towards the being the risk advisor, not the agent necessarily. And I think this is a good exercise for everybody to think about. Like what happens if we flip the switch and everything became an insure rate model, right? So now it's all completely based on data. There are no other better rates, better quotes, better options. It's all data-driven. So now your value has to come from something other than finding a better option or having a better contract or better rate or whatever. How are you going to provide value? And you can look at this as a positive or a negative, right? Where a negative is, shit, this is going to replace me. Like I'm done now as an agent, you know, like my, my value is gone. Or can I look to, can I do different things to provide more value outside of rate? And I think that that's a you start to go down that path. And even if, you know, the industry doesn't move that fast, we don't have the, the light switch flip, you're going to still be able to provide more value to your clients relative to other competitors. Let me, I'm going to now introduce something that no one's ever heard from me before. Oh, perfect. What if you, the risk advisor, were in control of your own risk company, your own, uh, insurance company, if you will, but it was a white label out of the box solution mm-hmm. that was branded a hundred percent to you and to your agency 
and the coverages and the price that came out of your carrier in a box, if you will, was customized based on the inputs that you, the agent, put in based on what you know, you, the risk advisor, based on what you know about that business, based on your relationship with them. These additional data attributes that big data can't find. Because there's always things that don't exist in data. And you unlocking and uncovering those things and then supplementing those with big data uh, would allow you to have a bespoke risk program that is branded to you, that is rated based on your data points, and that is 100% exclusive to you. And it has direct transfer to the reinsurance and capital markets where it does not have an insurance carrier as, as the interview. I'm assuming this is not something you just came up with. It is not something spot. I just came up with <laughs> in the last 30 minutes. <laughs> Which would mean it's something you've thought about. Like, is this actually feasible? This is something we are currently deploying in market. Really? Yes. Wow. That's pretty, pretty sweet. Which is ultimate. I mean, that's really what we want at the end of the day. Because even when we start talking about like pricing and whatnot, I mean... I've asked this question. I don't know that I've ever gotten an answer that I uh, can hang my hat on. But, you know, what if we measured, tried to measure the amount of value that uh, even a professional risk advisor could add from a rate perspective? It's not much. Not right. Not right now. No. And like, so we talk about professional risk advisors creating better outcomes. It's like the top end of your better outcome is very much limited to subjective data at the carrier level. Yeah. I mean, remove all that. We're beating our heads against an artificial, it's not artificial, a real ceiling that we don't know. We don't exactly know how tall the ceiling is. It's exactly why I sold my agency. I was so incredibly tired of it. My specialty when I was a retailer was the hardest to insure businesses that frankly required the most subjective conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And having 50 of those a day, it seemed like with 50 different underwriters day in and day out for years was mad. Well, and somebody asked me this recently and there's no way that you can't have a specific number, but they're like, how much does that conversation actually matter? Like how much does an underwriter it could matter a lot or it could matter none. And it simply matters what way the wind is blowing and how yeah. the writer woke up that day. I was talking with you about that. I'm like, okay, so at what level in the, in the, at, at the insurance carrier or like, at, yeah, at, at what management level inside an insurance carrier needs to understand the way that our agency implements professional risk advising? They don't care. Like to make a difference. They don't. Care. That was the question, and what we kind of came up with is, is like, they don't care. it really doesn't matter. <laughs> they don't care at all. The, the reason that they don't care at all is almost every insurance company that, as they exist right now, they all have a box. They all have a box of underwriting appetite, and they all have a box of rate attributes relative to to fit into their into their appetite, mm-hmm. and. They're simply checking boxes and they're looking for outliers. They're looking for reasons to say no. If they don't say no, then they have to fit it in their box. And you can't control their box because their box 
the rules of the box are predicated based on their reinsurance rules. Mm-hmm. And you aren't a part of those reinsurance negotiations as, as the risk advisor. And so you simply can't influence how a carrier perceives risk in the current model. The other thing that I get really kind of ticked off about when I think about it uh, in these conversations is that the money that we're using to facilitate holistic professional risk advising is all being driven from the revenue from the carrier. Yeah. Commissions. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like we have to place a product with a carrier uh, that then turns around and pays us commission for us to go implement holistic risk advising that doesn't have to do with that product because that product is going to work a hundred percent of the time perfectly. Yep. That's why most, not most, but I see the large big box national retailers. They make so much money on loss control fees and risk management fees because they charge for the services that midsize retailers are forced to provide for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what if you didn't have to provide those services because the AI platform, the, the infrastructure, if you will, always knew what needed to be deployed. It's telling you what to do. Yeah. It's prescribing your solution all the time based on what you tell it. Mm-hmm. So risk advisors ultimately become prompt engineers mm-hmm. for how they convey the unknown data attributes about a business to a underwriting machine. Yeah. It removes all subjectivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that ultimately to me is the power of AI across the board is it's a tool you can use to be more effective in many different things in the world. But, you know, in our industry is it's, we always say this, we've said this several times, like an insurance agent isn't going to be necessarily replaced by AI. But an insurance agent will be replaced by an insurance agent using AI yeah. or an advisor every, is what we're saying. That applies to every <coughs> white label or gray label, gray, gray collar, white collar job in the world, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not going to replace you, but a human with AI certainly will. Yeah. Totally. And this is a great example of it, though, because you start to look at, you know, when we think about launch, like one of the areas we're looking to build AI into is we get all this data through asking you questions, right? About your, how are you handling this? How do you do that? You know, and you could probably argue that big data has those answers. I don't know, but you know, we, we get this and it's all though it's your words and how you're, you're describing things, right? So we are going to build in the AI engine to analyze all of that and then spit out the trends through that conversation that this particular business might be, need to be aware of. Right. Yeah. And then taking it a step further, if I'm a younger producer, I can click the button and say, what would you recommend for strategies and solutions that I should present here? And it helps you at least start that dialogue in your brain for how can I provide value to this client? Right. Because ultimately that's what we're here to do is figure out ways that we can show value to a given client. It's not far off of exactly what you mentioned. I mean, like when you, when you said having, you know, armies of independent agencies being prompters for asking the right questions to get the right data to feed that back. Like that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish within launch as well. I think it's just at a different level. I 
turn down 99% of podcast opportunities. And I am clearly here in person <laughs> today because I really like what you're building with Launch. And I see the synergies with what Launch could create for risk advisors as a platform and how that could integrate with underwriting vehicles that can take that data, those attributes about a company, and transfer it to capital markets mm-hmm. in one seamless loop, if you want. One yeah, easy user experience. Yeah. Yeah, we've... You're taking it a step further with that than I've ever heard you talk about, but we have discussed that of like the, you know, agency in a box almost or whatnot, where you're giving... Risk transfer in a box. Yeah. The yeah. whole right. thing. The entire yeah. Well, and it goes back to, I guess, when you think about like, I like to compare the insurance industry to other industries that have gone through a similar evolution, right? Where sometimes it's hard to see the trends, but you, there's always trends, right? And I look at where those have gone and where we're at as an industry versus where we could be from a data, from a tech perspective. And I do think that we're on this, what you're describing makes a ton of sense because you're you're compressing the layers between person delivering value to the person receiving value, right? There's less layers in between when you're doing what you're talking about, which is a lot of times what tech helps us do. And then if we can combine that with an easy user experience that drives both, it makes a ton of sense. Look, this, this isn't as far off and as crazy as people think. Uh, this already exists largely in the global reinsurance world. You, I mean, insurance link securities, ILS, have mm-hmm. been out there forever. And now algorithmic-based ILS vehicles and markets are becoming more prevalent. And it is simply a matter of time until those ILS vehicles drop down a layer and say, goodbye, insurance carrier. Mm-hmm. That's wow. And they go direct to distribution. The hardest part for an ILS is distributing the product. Because it's not natural for a human being to buy something that costs as much as most mid-sized PNC policies. It's not natural for a company to spend $500,000 a year on something without sitting down and talking to a human. Mm -hmm. And so the risk advisor in the mid-market space, I'd say 100000 and up space, premium-wise, will always be valuable. I don't see any value generally whatsoever. Really minimal value under a hundred thousand. Right. But in that hundred thousand and up space, the ILS market can't distribute its own product. It needs a risk advisor to distribute. How you mentioned something that we often talk about, I think is very important and has cannibalized a lot of good ideas in the past. And that's like there's probably a technical term for this that I'm unfamiliar with, but matching what you're offering to the consumer's willingness to adopt it. Does that make sense? Product market fit is what we call it in startup world. Yeah. Yeah. And so like how important is that with not only what you're doing, but you know, looking out on the curve over the five year period of time. Um, because at the end of the day, like there's there's so much inertia and there's just so much complacency to want to do it from the c- consumer's perspective that we have such a hell of a time changing the way that they think. Like, h- how do you envision 
this like coming together at the right time where we get we can start to get real traction with unique solutions. You know, the legacy that the big box insurance carriers are not going to truly go away, probably ever. And as a result of that, um, there will always be options for people to buy and shop and move insurance frequently. And so it's, it's really, I think, this education process of the consumer, this multi, perhaps even multi-generational mind shift away from buying a policy that lasts for 12 months into incorporating a, a risk management infrastructure as a core operating foundation of our business. Mm -hmm. And once a company implements this infrastructure, it's just like any software that you would buy for your company. Why would you tear it out? Mm -hmm. Once it's there, why would you get rid of it? And then once it's there in your life as an entrepreneur or business owner or executive is so much easier, you tell your friends about it. You say, my life is so much better running my company because I don't shop my insurance every year. Mm -hmm. I always have the best thing for me. And then in this world of social media and of, of things that can perhaps go viral, eventually things word of mouth spreads faster than it ever has in the past. And I think that's really what it takes. I think it takes some early adopters, like any technology, it takes mm -hmm. some early adopters, people that are forward thinking and perhaps a little crazy, a little, mm -hmm. a little different. Mm -hmm. um, and then they have to win. Mm -hmm. And then people have to talk about yeah, it just seems seems far off, but I don't know. I don't know. If you put a $5 million marketing campaign behind it, it's not that far off. Well, you, not you necessarily that. Targeted just... in digital to reach your exact known audience and you use all these data attributes to target people as opposed to using them to target business. And $5 million is nothing. Is nothing in our in this. Well, it's world. one of the reasons why we're doing this damn podcast. Is <laughs> like we the, our thought process and theory is the more independent shops that we can get thinking like this, the better off we're all going to be. Yeah, yeah. But why would you? I don't want to disparage insurance carriers. I mean, I worked for a carrier for ten years. They taught me almost everything I know. Um, I, then I was independent agent representing lots of carriers, lots of really good companies and good people. But at the same time, if I were to ever go back to being a, a risk advisor or retail agent again, I would never represent another carrier. Mm. Never. I would only have a digital infrastructure connected to progressive ILS-minded insurance vehicles that could give me the product I need at the rate that I need on demand 100% of the time. And a firm like us could go out and get that yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, we built that's it. We built it for this. work comp. I know of others that have built it for cyber. I don't know of anywhere else that it truly exists in this form right now, but it's simply a matter of time. I mean, yeah. it exists in the cat bond market. It exists in the climate market. It exists in reinsurance. But if, as we're talking about primary PNC coverages, work comp and cyber are where it's at. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It seems so far off, but when you, I guess, bring it back and the pace of innovation and change is so rapid. Yeah. What is it, Moore's Law or whatever, that technology doubles every 18 months? That's only picking up. So oh, AI is going to change that. Yeah. It's yeah. weekly now. 18 seconds. Yeah. 
<laughs> it is wild. You see a new, you know, new announcement on AI comes like every other day. It seems yeah. like it's hard to keep up with. But but again, I think the more that we are looking at ways to utilize this technology, this data, the more we're able going, more we are going to be able to provide that value back to our client because we're taking what. We struggle with this all the time too. It, it sometimes it's hard to even get our clients out of that mindset of like, "You're my insurance agent. I got to go through my renewal this year." It's like renewal's freaking fine. Like, let's talk about some stuff that actually matters or should matter to you. But they're like, "No, no." For the last ten years, you know, we go through everything line by line. That's what I want to do, and it, it can be just difficult to shift them out of that perspective because of, frankly, sometimes how the industry is just set up. Uh, and how the cycles work and how we have to go to the carrier and get things back and then present it to you, the client. And, you know, you start to remove some of those types of hurdles and it's a completely different interaction with your client. Yeah. Which becomes very exciting because again, you know, the, the less that we can be beholden to the insurance carrier and to, uh, you know, we don't have control of that whole client experience, right? Cause we're relying on an insurance carrier's timelines, people, uh, processes, whatever, um, the more we can control the value that we're driving to the client. If you think of the internet, um, the internet is essentially owned by the people that uh, built it, right? And all of that data is essentially owned by them as well. I think insurance is due for a risk net. I think insurance and distribution is due to be controlled by the people that distribute the product that are closest to it, that know the risk the best, mm -hmm. that frankly, like I've already said, that know the things that big data doesn't know. Mm -hmm. And if you that makes control the entire solution based on the things that you know, mm -hmm. then the value that you're providing has nothing to do with the policy that you're selling. Mm. Holding people accountable to implement preventative measures on the feedback that we're getting from big data and whatnot. It's being a coach. It's being an advisor. Totally. And completely shifting that relationship, you know, away from a transactional insurance agent relationship to a trusted advisor relationship. Yeah. Which takes a different mindset and different thinking. And, you know, I think it's also just ripe for, this type of a model in that it's been really easy for, you know, nothing against it necessarily, but lifestyle insurance agents to continue making a great living, just kind of doing the same thing. But also new people with the new agents and producers coming into the industry that think I can get rich quick. Yeah. Yeah. And I can make it big <laughs> and then go live this life. Yeah. That, that, if that's your reason, don't do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a hell of a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to do the right stuff, I mean, you you probably could, I guess, if you want to get out and, and grind and just sling insurance policies. I mean, you can make a lot of money. And, yeah. But, you know. We're witnessing some of that. Yeah. There's sure. days where like, holy shit, are we doing it? Like, <laughs> but the people that do that, and I don't mean to disparage yeah. producers, but if, if it's just about the money and the revenue then that simply creates additional cyclicality in how you sell. Yeah, exactly. 100%. That's it. You got to live with yourself at night. Yeah. You know, 
And so, and ultimately, we've talked about this entire time around how, you know, that centers your value proposition squarely on the product and price. And when that goes away, you know, what the hell do you have? Yeah. You need to be developing deep relationships at the trusted advisor level with these tools. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, man, that's covered a lot of ground. What have we not talked about that um, you think is important we talk about? I think it's important that agents are vocal about their frustrations with how insurance exists right now. I think that's starting to become more prevalent, but at the same time, I can understand why most insurance agencies are hesitant to vocally express their frustrations because they're essentially stuck in the middle, Mm -hmm. right? And and representing so many different other companies Mm -hmm. on both sides, it's it's difficult to objectively say, this is what I think is good and bad. Mm -hmm. But I think that's really what our industry needs. Yeah, and more people having this conversation. I mean, that's ultimately what Brian mentioned. That's why we started this podcast. But there's plenty of people out there that are at least starting to ask, is there a different way? Is there a better way? Could we could we be doing things differently? And we need more people asking that question to help push things forward. But beating your head against the wall as a producer. <laughs> I'm talking to myself, my old former self. Mm-hmm. You know, just it's maddening. It really is. Totally. Awesome, dude. Well, how can they get a hold of you or learn more about Insurate if anybody out there wants to kind of know what you guys are doing? Yeah, insurate.com. Joe M at insurate.com. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, reach out. They're doing some some awesome stuff. Has some great marketing too that, you know, brings you along with the journey. So appreciate you coming yeah, in. Yeah, thanks for coming fun. on, Joe. It's a great time. Appreciate it very much. We'll thanks. see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Past the Premium. We are excited to continue breaking down barriers and finding solutions together. If you would like to reach out regarding anything you heard in today's episode, find links and contact info in the description. Until next time, have a great day.